Well, the virus has now killed more than 100 people in China, and new cases have been confirmed around the world. So you don't want to frighten the American public. France and South Korea have also evacuation plans. Which you need to prepare for and assume. Strongly warning Americans to avoid all non-essential travel to China. That this is going to be a real serious problem. France, Australia, Canada, the US, Singapore, Cambodia, Vietnam, the list goes on. Health officials are investigating more than 100 possible cases in the US. Germany, a man has uh, contracted the virus. The epidemic is a demon and we cannot let this demon hide. Japan, where a bus driver uh, contracted the virus. Coronavirus has killed more than 100 people there and infected more than 4,500. We have to prepare for the worst, always, because if you don't and the worst happens. War Room Pandemic. Here's your host, Stephen K. Bannon. I heard that the commission a little while ago changed the debate style, and uh, that's not acceptable to us. Uh, I beat him easily in the first debate. According to the polls that I've seen, but I beat him easily. I felt I beat him easily. I think he felt it, too. He wouldn't answer any questions, and he had the uh, protection of Chris Wallace all night long. It was just, I, thought he, I thought Chris Wallace was a disaster. But I beat him in the first debate. At the second debate, we have a never-Trumper as a host, but that's okay because I beat him in the second debate also. And uh, But I'm not going to so- do a virtual debate. So you're not so, Mr. President, you're not going to do it because the CPD, the Commission on Presidential Debates, announcing this morning uh, that the second presidential debate will be virtual. Are you saying you're not going to participate? No, I'm not going to waste my time in a virtual debate. That's not what debating's all about. You sit behind a computer and do a debate. It's ridiculous. And then they cut you off whenever they want. Uh, I have a host who I always thought was a nice guy, but I see he's a never Trumper. You know, came out that he's a never Trumper. Uh, we do have some of them, Maria, believe it or not, because they don't like to win. Uh, I, uh, and uh, I, so, But I'm I not doing, I'm not doing a virtual point, debate. They, they didn't even tell at, us at about the debate, the, Maria. Welcome. You're live in the War Room Nation's capital. It's Thursday, the 8th of October, Year of Lord 2020, episode 425. Now, with nearly 16 million downloads on John Frederick Radio Network, America's Voice.news, that is now called Real America's Voice. Channel 219 and Channel 113 out in Chicago on Comcast, uh, Dish Channel 219. want to thank the team out in Colorado. Also, Newsmax TV now in 70 million homes. Chris Reddy and the team down in Palm Beach. G News, G Media, and Mandarin throughout the world. Also on every platform. Sign ups for us on YouTube. Uh, download the podcast. Uh, push this content out all day long. That's your mission. That's your mandate. Be a force multiplier. Write that down. I am a force multiplier. Okay, uh, last night I want to thank Vish and Jack Maxey who are here to almost dawn. We had the, uh, we're going to have a um, Vice TV. Couldn't get enough of the war room last night. Be doing a big special on Vice TV here shortly, I think on the 21st of October. More details about that. Vish, we're, we're Saturday night, where are we? We're in Virginia. <clears throat> we're in Orange, Virginia, 7.30 p.m. to 9 p.m. at uh, Madison at the Mill, Plot to Steal 2020 with the Virginia Young Republican Federation. Socially distanced. But home of Woodbury Forest, home of Woodbury Forest is absolutely correct. Played Woodbury Forest when I was at Benedictine in Richmond, Virginia. Woodbury Forest, always a good, good, tough, tough, tough school, good prep school up there. Um, many famous people went to Woodbury Forest. Many people went in that were famous when they went in and infamous when they came out. Um, okay, we're going to start. We got, uh, we're going to go to this, we're going to get to the snooze fest, the vice presidential debate in the next, um, 
episode in the next segment. But we got to talk today. We're doing signal in the noise. The what's the buried lead? I'm see how good you guys are. What's the buried lead in the Maria Bartiroma breaking news clip with President Trump? Vish, what was the buried lead? <clears throat> that they'll be able to cut off his mic anytime they want. No, that he just found out about it when they they didn't even have they didn't oh, yeah. they didn't con- they he's president of these United States unilateral unilateral they just and and Fahrenkoff, is it Fahrenholt Fahrenkoff? these guys are bad guys that presidential commission we we had to they tried to stop they tried to stop the uh, rape victims and the sexual abuse victims of Clinton we brought in Billy Bush week and in fact correct me if I'm wrong is today. It, or yesterday is today the uh, the fourth year anniversary of Billy Bush weekend. I think it was yesterday. Yesterday, yesterday was. Th- well, this is this is this is then eleven o'clock is eleven o'clock was high noon because eleven o'clock was when we were meeting in Trump Tower and they were you know I don't want to say I'm not going to name names Chris Christie but you know certain people <laughs> were telling him to drop out of the race. <laughs> Old Bannon, you have one hundred percent metaphysical certitude you're going to win this. What are you talking about? Don't give me the 100%, right? Give, tell me what you really think. Okay, I want to turn to Raheem Kassam. Uh, and by the way, Jack and Vish really appreciate it last night. These guys were here to, I think, 3 in the, mo- three in the morning. Sounds big, like a party. Big special on Vice TV. No, we saw Sleepy Vish. <laughs> Vish was not... Vish, uh, Vish, I've never Vish, not seen Sleepy no, Vish. No, 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 but Vish working, not partying, not booming. Vish, Vish working is not... A, at 3 in the morning is not a pleasant sight. It's, you get Sleepy Vish, Grumpy Vish. Um, <laughs> um, okay, let's go to – I want signal, not noise, Mr. Raheem Kassam. I don't want to say Bannon said this, but Bannon said this. I said there's no chance they're going to have another debate. Not going to happen, right? Just not going to happen. They've got th- – th- there's no way they're going to allow – there's no way they're going to allow um, – some, I hope I hope that's the dialogue that the producer Dan is in the back with a belly laugh. Uh, so, uh, Raheem, we'll find out what Dan's he's going to text us what he's laughing about. What What are you? Um, what's your What's your commentary analysis of what just happened? Uh, here's what happened: They watched Mike Pence thrash Kamala Harris yesterday. They realized that if Joe Biden gets the virus, he's dead, and they know nobody goes out to vote for Harris on November the third. So they have to. They're in investment protection mode right now. This is oh, you don't think they're you don't the think investment. they're you don't think they're afraid of Trump vis-a-vis content in in combat in debate. You think they're actually afraid of him as the asset? They think that Joe Biden will be knocked out of the race, knocked off his feet, maybe even worse. So keep Joe alive is the mantra of today. That's their mantra. That's what this is. You don't mean politically. You mean keep him alive. I mean, keep him alive. Literally keep him alive. Literally risk mitigation. That is risk mitigation. Protect the asset. Jack Maxey, thoughts, observation. Did we get any votes on the Ben Shapiro thing yesterday? Under 1,000? It was it was slightly under 1,000. Okay, so I'm going to jump ahead to the next segment. Here's what I – no, I tell you what, we'll wait till we play. I want to hear Raheem's voice. By the way, do we have Google search like on my name, guys? I want to have a, like a war room meeting here. I was called yesterday on Maria Bartiromo. Stephen K. Bannon was referred to, quote, a political genius, unquote. And none of my team, the 9,000 people that work on the show, nobody pulled it. I'm sorry. We don't deal with lies here. <laughs> Evidence-based. Evidence-based. Database. That's not database. We deal with the signal here, Steve. It's the signal. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Boom. You're a long way from that 44th floor now. First episode of of the Jack Maxey Show, episode one. Uh, Okay, Jack, the unilateral 
This is what upsets me, and I think the president and the White House and the campaign is now time to go blow guys up. He's president of the United States. I don't care if you don't like that fact. You know, I don't care if you don't like him, you hate him, you know, but you got to show some respect to the office. The presidential commission is completely corrupt. They changed the rules last time all the time to let Cubans sit up there and not let our women sit in the VIP things. You know, they, I caught them in the line of Claire McCaskill. They are corrupt. And for them to unilaterally do this and not give the president of the United States a heads up is outrageous. Am I incorrect on that, Mr. Jack Maxey? I think what it shows you is just how confused and awkward and messed up the Biden plan is, right? Don't they have this secret plan to get us out of the virus and they're going to do everything by the book? How is it that they're making up the rules as they go along here with the presidential debates if they're so squared away on how to prevent people from getting the virus? Fish, I want to make sure the Real America guys and you, let's pull the clip of her response last night to the, to the, her, the virus plan. It's gobbledygook. Exactly. It's gobbledygook. Show me the plan. You're supposed to be evidence-based. And this is what, if I was, if anybody's still working at the, <laughs> the Trump White House comms department, listening to the show, write this one down. I would blow that up. They don't have a plan. At best, they have a to, not even a to-do list. She's had so long to think. If this is, and everybody says, oh, well, you know, you cut on CNN and MSNBC. They're talking about what President Trump doesn't want to talk about, the, the pandemic. Hey, let's do it. Let's do it. Let's open it safely, smartly, right? And now you need to open up the country. We're going to get to the Barrington thing later. Maybe we get it to it now. But it's, it's, it's logical. They don't have a plan in the show. They, uh, see, I disagree with you somewhat. I don't think, and I've said this from the last time, they see these numbers breaking their way. I don't think it's a total correct interpretation, but I can tell you what they're doing. What they don't want—they want to go to a four corners, you know, offense right now. They want to slow the ball down. They do not want the only thing they feel. I believe they can lose this is Joe Biden gets on stage and has a senior moment. The right? only thing they have to fear is the American people losing fear. These people sell fear, Jack and that's the only way that they're going to win. So they're hit, trying to keep okay. people afraid for another three weeks. Hit rewind on that. I love it. Give me that again. The only thing the Democrats have so good, to I'm gonna fear is the loss of fear in their voters. That's it. They've traumatized. The mainstream media has taken this pandemic, which we've said if you go evidence-based, data-based, science-based, there are ways to reopen this. It's a human phenomenon, and we can get through this human phenomenon, and it's going to be difficult and tough. Trump's doing it imperfectly. We understand that. But you have, but they haven't shown us an alternative. What they've, they have sold mass hysteria. Well, and Donald Trump has shown us an alternative. Donaldus Maximus reminds me of Ronaldus Maximus. Remember when uh, Ronald Reagan left the hospital early after he got shot and all the mainstream media was going, oh, how irresponsible. Oh, my God, he, he should be lying in bed. You know what, people? Donald Trump is just like the American people. This is not putting him on his knees, and it's not putting us on our knees either. This guy has just shown us that the Democrat fear-mongering is a scam. I think Jack Maxey's onto something. Right, and this is why we keep saying the mass hysteria. That's why we have this funky boat. We got Bill McGinley at the bottom of the hour to go through the the, the plot to steal twenty twenty, and here's why: their shining moment last night, and Kamala Harris's shining moment for her presidency, her presidential run in twenty twenty four, should have been when 
they answer the question on, on what the plan of the pandemic is. And if you know, as you go to that answer, on the first thing, she takes all of her time spinning about Trump. They don't really get into, they don't really get into, um, they don't really get into um, the answer. And then when she gets into the answer, it's like, it's not even a to-do list. If a to-do list would be kind of organized, and here's what I'm going to do, walk you, they've had, Months to think about this. They had the Democrat convention to present it. Then she had to pre-buttle when she flew back to D.C. so dramatically to pre-butt uh, Trump's uh, acceptance speech at the convention at the White House. And there, you remember, Jack, we went through it. And it was nothing. His plans from March is this kind of a list, wear mask, uh, contact trace. Okay, got that. Thank you. <laughs> or, or, or this nonsense of, like, I would do what the CDC and Dr. Fauci tell me to do. And then you have Dr. Fauci come out and be like, well, Donald Trump did everything we told him to. Right. Well, what's their point? It's like they create a lie if you could, to if prove you, another lie. If you could, let me know when we got her when we got her uh, thing ready to go on the on her specific answer. She kind of wandered there. She was also, I will say this. I know we're going to get into the next section. I thought she was very poorly served by her team, uh, and here's why: um, she's not accessible, and the more she tries to become accessible, she comes off as a schmarmy politician. I think her brand is prosecutor, and I understand that comes with a lot of baggage with her for right now but i think she should have been she should have been tough she was treacly and i, I don't I, think that plays i also have to say i don't think the pantsuit was a winning strategy when we look back on electoral history guys come on you're you not mean, giving her enough credit you, you, she, she, okay go ahead she achieved something incredibly historic last night that nobody thought four years ago could happen is that we found a woman more annoying than hillary clinton <laughs> right and she deserves credit for that. She may have a low IQ rating. It was it was it was shocking actually. Her 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 behavior was shocking. But up that's there. what I'm saying. Her team. She, she's she a was, TikTok politician. She, she was that's what she was trying to be. You know, it's these dropping all these like, I'm speaking. Okay, these lines are made for those like Instagram reels and TikTok moments. That's what her team was telling her to play for, but it doesn't work. Doesn't number one? It doesn't work mathematically. Those people are already voting for you if they're voting at all, right? You don't need to worry about them. You don't need to have. It also do, it doesn't moments. work on the medium of television because you got to connect those things and it looks off-putting, right? It does. You think okay? We got to okay. Hashtag war and pandemic. In the live stream, we need you to uh, be engaged here. We're going to put up a vote, and we want some people to vote today. Okay, yesterday was not. We usually have thousands and thousands. Maybe we didn't ask the question the right way. We're going to ask the question the right way next, though. We want your engagement. Okay. I'm pretty sure it's Ben Shapiro. <laughs> Not a fan favorite, obviously. Be back, War of Pandemic, in the VP debate. The Snooze Fest, next. War Room Pandemic with Stephen K. Bannon. The epidemic is a demon, and we cannot let this demon hide. War Room Pandemic. Here's your host, Stephen K. Bannon. What were the most important moments? I think the vice president won the debate. My first takeaway is that Kamala Harris has three settings. She has smug, she has hectoring, and she has smug and hectoring. And that really came across tonight. Her body language is off. Her, her, her mannerisms were off. She was getting riled up very quickly and snapping back and being very snippy and school um, That'll very much hurt her. I gave her about four and a half out of 10. I think uh, Mike Pence gets an 8 out of 10 for me. 
Why did Mike Pence were back in the war room? Why did Mike Pence get an 8 out of 10? Well, Mike Pence only got an 8 out of 10 for me because he actually didn't go far enough on the China question. I think the China question yeah. was, I, I weighted that much more heavily. Yeah. It, was worth a, it was worth another uh, a point and a half, two points nearly in the thing. But he was composed. He was detailed. Um, he was just the right amounts of ethos, logos, and pathos. Here's, here's the thing I want to ask you. Jack, I'll start with Jack Maxey, but Vish and, and then Raheem, I better jump in. The Lincoln Project has been, I think, very effective in getting in the heads of certain establishment Republicans, the never-Trumpers. It's obvious to me if you are a conservative or if you're a Republican, there's just no – there's such an unbridgeable gulf here. Even if you detest the guy, if you actually look at his actions from foreign policy to finance to, to, to capital markets, taxes – you know, liberty, liberties, the Constitution, and the courts, right, and the cultural stuff. I just don't see how it's not even – to me, it's just you guys can't get work in Trump, in Trump world, and you're thinking of something else. Did Mike Pence last night give – and this is why, quite frankly, I pushed so hard to have Mike Pence on the ticket in 16, is that he you, you see him and you see Robert Taft. That is a standard stock – Republican. I always said the ticket in 16 would be the Rat Pack, right? Trump's Dean Martin and Sinatra and, you know, he's Vegas. He's the cool guy. He's Mad Men. It's Mad Men meets Ozzie and Harriet, right? No, Mike Pence is a 1950s TV dad, but he embraces that role and does it so well. That's solidity, right? That is is a kind of a firm, not exciting, right? Not going to blow you away with intellect, but smart enough, right, and a good guy. And it comes across last night. Is that enough? Did he solve for the piece of the equation to get the guys in – let me pick out some random states. Arizona, right, where you can see in the math there's a little problem. Right, they're 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 over what the what the uh, the Lincoln Project calls the Bannon line, which is the old Mendoza line, right? Two fifteen batting average, right? With, with Mendoza when he played the Pirates, the Bannon line is five or six percent, because Reince Priebus and those guys solve for that part of the equation. Hillary got four percent, right? And that was Reince Priebus, Katie Walsh, the RNC. I know Ronald McDaniel and these people are working like they're working like Trojans to to pull this off. But did Pence deliver last night for those people that detest the sound of Donald Trump's voice but are registered Republicans? I believe uh, Pence did. First of all, Pence was a thorough gentleman. And if you really want to look at Pence's virtues, these are really the virtues of flyover country, right? Quiet people go about their jobs, do do their business, go to church on Sunday, raise their families, don't complain, get the job done. That's Mike Pence. That's America. These fringe elements that seem to control the narrative from the coast in Los Angeles and along the, the Hudson in New York, they don't represent that. Pence is a backbone kind of guy. And one thing about the Lincoln Project that I love is notice the Democrats got to go find a Republican to put as the banner for the, their attempt to slam the president, Trump. Let's remember something. No, but these are Repu- Lincoln Projects are Republicans. Uh, oh, I know, but I mean, let's... Republicans they're, they're, in name they're, only. Right. right. They're, they're, I call them, I call them Sino-Rhinos, right? Chinese uh, Communist Party rhinos. But then you saw Biden do it the other day. He's up in Gettysburg, 
and he seems appealing, this emotional appeal to people. I thought his Gettysburg speech was smart. We did Gettysburg. It was smart, but I want to reveal something to the American people. The only people he holds up as moral characters in this are Abraham Lincoln, Republican. Harriet Tubman. Frederick Douglass. Yeah. Republican. Harriet Tubman. Harriet Tubman. Republican. Republican. And then he neglects to say why there was two armies in combat in Gettysburg. You know why? Because there was a Democrat Party uh, army dressed in gray trying to maintain slavery in America. Not just that. Democrat Party. Meeting these guys, he finally got some non-democratic generals that wanted to fight. (laughs) Right. Right. but, okay, I got to go to Raheem. I do smell the maple. There is maple syrups around here somewhere. Raheem brings that. Is there? If, if somebody puts a short stack in front of me, I'm going to be all over there. Uh, uh, right? No, they put a short stack in front of me. me I'm just worried that this is vicious cologne. <laughs> no, 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 no. This is, this is the Jamaican me crazy coffee that Vish bought me by accident this morning. Oh, okay, okay. That's I, what it is? Is that what it is? Okay, fine. Goodness, I feel better. It's I'm, overpowering my sausage. No, 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 no. <laughs> Thank God. Can you, can, can you get a vente tomorrow? Get a vente. Um I want to go back. Raheem Kassam, did Mike Pence deliver for what needs to be delivered? The Republicans and establishment Republicans must come home to win in states like Arizona, and there may be a couple of three, Pennsylvania, right? You're going to need every vote. You're going to need every possible vote. You can't have six, seven, eight, ten percent of establishment Republicans do it. Did Mike Pence, when they're looking at that TV, they go, you know what? That's what I'm voting for. Here's how you know he did do it. Uh, number one, mansplaining, right? They all hit him with mansplaining immediately afterwards, which is to say, in the new soft bigotry of low expectations, I suppose, that they claim a woman cannot debate a man without being given, you know, some kind of additional help. They were all complaining yesterday. The moderator didn't help Carmelo enough. Hold on. It's a debate between hu- two human beings. It's not supposed to have mansplaining. All right, number one. Number two, the fly. The fly was the big moment for them. And number three, the announcement this morning that we're changing the debate, the next debate. This is the key thing. Step they, on the news cycle. You believe they did the that on purpose? hundred percent. Totally to Bigfoot well, any of the news. If he was mansplaining. That signal and noise, ladies and gentlemen. Perhaps we could say the pantsuit yeah. was mousplaining. The, the, <laughs> Jack wanted to go there. We just call, we're just now announcing the cancellation of the Jack Maxey show <laughs> after, after <laughs> 0.5% of, a, uh, of an episode. Um, this is signal noise. The the commission could have done that. First off, they might have done, hey, put a call over to the White House and just give this guy called the commander-in-chief, the leader of the free world, the president of these United States, a heads up, right? Or talk to Rudy. Rudy's the interface between that. Give him a break and give him a couple hours. They couldn't do that. They had to drop it at, what, 7 o'clock? Boom, right? To, to, they didn't want any discussion. They didn't want the morning shows. Hey, we didn't lead with the vice president clip. We started with, you know, we we bit because it was bigger news and it is more dramatic and it's 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 more important to what's going on. But even we bumped to the second to the second uh, segment, the debate and the analysis of the debate. There's not a, only that they knew that uh, they knew that the president was going to be on uh, eight in the morning with Maria Bartiromo, and the news came out before that, so they needed the reaction on Morning Joe before they let the news cycle die. There, there's a tell right now. And that tell's name is Maggie Haberman. And every time she tweets, she kind of gives away some of the establishment game plan. 
She tweeted this morning, nice for Pence, whose supporters and advisors thought he did well last night, to have the president stomp all over the coverage this morning. That's a tell. Yep. I replied, I said, actually, the coverage was stomped on by the debate commission attempting to change the yep. rules after seeing Pence yep. wipe the floor with Harris. Yeah. I thought he did. I thought he did. I thought he delivered exactly what he was supposed to deliver. I thought these answers were great. Some of them I would have liked to see China. He had an answer in there on China, like we want to level the playing field, something like that. Bad answer. But, and maybe we pulled this up in the segment. We're going to, by the way, breaking news. Dr. Yan's come out with the second report, which she goes all in now. It's a bioweapon, right? Uh, under, and she, it's called unrestricted warfare, bioweapon. It's one that's going to blow people's heads up. We're actually going to have Dr. Yan on at 1130 now to explain that. Um, I, I thought Kamala Harris, it was, I thought Kamala Harris's answer about China was just unacceptable. The American people, and you know, hey, the campaign, the White House is not doing enough on this to compare and contrast. Her answer, first off, I can't believe her team prepped her, and that's the best you're giving me on China. It was redonkulous, right? <laughs> it was, it, Pence's was not great. It was okay, right? Would you say yeah. just yeah. just okay? Yeah. Uh, and to me, this is the central thing. Plus, hey, you want to talk about the pandemic? Let's get back to the heart of this thing of where you're going to find it, Jack Maxey. Well, you know, the other thing that really bothered me, and I think Pence said something to it, Pence comes out and blames the Chinese communists for this virus infecting the world. President Trump has done the same. Who did this, the Democratic Party blame? The American people, the American president, all of the people working in government who they claim didn't do their jobs. But not a word about Cuomo, not a word about Murphy in New Jersey. It's I don't know if they blame the American people. That's a reach. They blame the Trump administration. Trump caused this, essentially. That's their pitch. Well, most of the employees of the CDC, the FDA, and the NIH are not political appointees. So at the end of the day, you are really slamming the system, the system that you were in charge of for the administrative eight years state. prior. The administrative state. Right. They, the administrative they, they state. Blew it. They blew it coming out. You know, the CDC had that ridic- ridiculous and test. Hatfield sat right there and told us the test doesn't work in, like, the third episode. One of our uh, longtime fans made a comment last night while we were watching the debate and i really thought it, it stuck with me she said kamala harris wins when communist china wins biden wins when communist china wins this is the concept of win-win that dictator xi often speaks about okay we're gonna go hashtag war and pandemic want to hear what you have to say in the live stream get engaged got to be pushing content out you got to be doing the voter you know get out the vote if you still if uh, if you're a bernie guy and you're still supporting Biden, then, hey, do, do the same for Biden. You should get engaged. Every person should be engaged here and make sure these votes are certifiable to get engaged. But I can't imagine if you're a Bernie guy how you can listen to Kamala Harris. He, write this down. They are ne- neoliberal neocons, and they're pretty upfront about it. I mean, it's not – I didn't hear any Bernie last night. So if you're a Bernie follower, I'm not getting it. Okay, short commercial break. Bill McGinley next on the plot to steal 2020. War Room Pandemic with Stephen K. Bannon. The epidemic is a demon, and we cannot let this demon hide. War Room Pandemic. Here's your host, Stephen K. Bannon. Since you can tell we're all a little sleepy since we're up at 3 o'clock in the morning the Vice TV guys, we've actually got Murder's Row of guests to take us home in the show. we got Bill McGinley next. we got Liz Jure at the top of the hour. This Vatican situation with CCP is now blown into a full financial scandal uh, Zero Hedge has got it. I'm telling you, baby, 
this is Miles Guo started on this show three months ago by saying they're taking $2 billion a year in cash from the CCP. That's their keeping afloat. Now the Cardinal Pell's gone back to Rome. They've got scandals breaking every day. Zero Hedge, Financial Times of London has broken a huge scandal of they're making these crazy bets in uh, derivatives. Then we got Betsy McConaughey is on with her New York Post story about, hey, look at New Jersey and New York. You want to talk about what Democrats are doing, the worst track record actually killing people, right? And I'm going to tell you, Murphy and Cuomo, the, the, not just the lawsuits, you're going to see some criminal activity here. This thing is out of control. We're going to have Betsy on. And then we got Dr. Yan has just dropped her number two report, which says, hey, unrestrict warfare, this, it's a bioweapon, and the world has got to start paying attention, has to address it. That's all starting. And we're going to start now with Bill McGinley. And this patriot, Bill McGinley, who was, uh, you know, came on board in the Trump administration. <laughs> As uh, the cabinet secretary, that was the guy in charge of the lawyer in charge of tying together all the cabinet activities for the first couple of years of the uh, Trump administration. Now, Verholtzman Vogel uh, as a partner and really has done more, I think, than anybody to explain to the American people and particularly the deplorables uh, what exactly is going on with when you hear these reports that Raheem does. And now you've got uh, Michael Anton doing the whole concept of the coup. You've got Byron York doing some great work. You've got more of the intelligentsia is now stepping into this. McGinley gives you the nuts and bolts. We're going to try to have Bill on as many times as possible between now and game day. Bill, just put it. Can you just step back and pull the camera back? Because every day we, we we come in here and there are ten stories in different er- in Iowa, in South Carolina, in Pennsylvania, and thing. And it's tough to keep the big picture. Lay out for people right now the lawfare part of this, the, 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 which is really the tip of the spear of hammering home of trying to take this election from Trump. What is going on strategically throughout the country? The bottom line is, is that the Democrats have been looking for an opportunity to change many of the election laws in the states. Prior to the pandemic, I think they were trying to figure out where they could have an opportunity to affect some change. After the pandemic struck, Uh, And it was clear in connection with a number of the presidential primaries that things were not going well and they tried to make some late changes that didn't work. They realized that these lawsuits were going to be the way that they could actually achieve what they could not achieve politically in the state legislatures um, and the Congress. So pulling back and looking at this, looking at the forest instead of focusing on the trees, the one constant in this election has been the constantly changing election laws as a result of these lawsuits. And one of the things that we need to remember is that one of the bedrock principles of the election laws is that you need to have a stable regime of voting laws so that not only the candidates uh, and the political parties have advanced notice about how to conduct the election, do their get out the vote, um, put their people in to observe the process to achieve full transparency, but also the voters themselves, right? Late changes in election laws create voter confusion. They don't understand what the rules are. They don't understand how they're supposed to uh, cast their ballot, what the different ways are that they can actually deliver it to the election uh, uh, officials to ensure that their vote is counted. And what we're seeing now, I think it's 26, 25 days before the election, we still have court cases going on in battleground states that are significantly changing Um, the election laws. This creates voter confusion and the election officials themselves have to recalibrate how they're going to conduct this election if they're looking at this. We've talked about this before, Steve. Election laws should be written on stone tablets. They should be permanent. They should be stable. 
Um, instead, what we're seeing is we're seeing the election laws written in the shifting sands that are constantly changing, and nobody's going to know what the process is going to be post-election if this keeps up. In, in the key battleground states, the 10 or 12 that this thing will come down to, uh, and because I want to leave Montana out for a second and get, get to the, 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 the stunning opinion uh, change up there, but in just the battleground states, as you look at it strategically, where are you concerned that things have been changed that will make it a higher probability that they can steal this election from President Trump's game day vote? And I, I think, let me change a little bit of that language. It's not necessarily a steal, although, you know, they always you always have to be on guard for voter fraud. Where the problem's going to be is in election administration. These local administrators that in normal times have had a lot of difficulty trying to conduct a clean, clear, uh, clean, transparent, and fair election. And, you know, Pennsylvania comes to mind. Michigan comes to mind. Um, Wisconsin, we saw what happened during the presidential primaries and how they had a complete meltdown um, for the presidential primary and how they conducted that primary. These guys are, 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 are going to have a lot of problems. And I think that what's, what, what we're looking at is we're looking at a situation where if this is as close as people believe it's going to be, um, and I don't care what the polls say right now. I don't think anybody believes uh, a lot of the public polling that's coming out. If this is going to be this close, um, you're going to see legions of people descending, lawyers, political operatives, and others, um, for the initial canvas of these ballots um, to observe the process. And there's going to be multiple lawsuits, especially in those counties uh, and municipalities that have had a lot of problems in the past. Philadelphia comes to mind. Detroit comes to mind. Right? Madison comes to mind. Um, there's a lot of different jurisdictions that do not have a good history um, of election administration. And I think that's where you're going to see both parties focusing a lot of their resources uh, to make sure that they have full visibility into the process. So if necessary, they can walk into court um, and tell the judge exactly where this is going off the rails so that they can take corrective action. Is there anything that our audience should know in your mind? What's the, the ruling so far you've seen in state courts or, or what the Democrats are pressing that most concern you? that we could get a free and fair election or the election administration could be something that you actually get votes that can be certified or there. Can you go and give us now some specifics of things that concern you? Actually, one of the things that you're going to start seeing coming into play um, in some of these court cases is we are in such close proximity to the election that federal judges are going to be loath um, to try and make significant changes to a state election laws um, under these federal challenges. And some of the state courts are going to follow that same example. Um, there was a court case a number of years ago in Arizona, the personal case, um, and you're going to start hearing things about the personal principle um, as these uh, cases begin to go. And basically what the personal principle is, is this was an Arizona case that involved voter ID. Um, and one of the things that the, that the court basically said was, look, as you get in close proximity to an election, federal judges should not be making changes um, to the election laws for the reasons I stated earlier, which is you need to have stability in the, in the election laws and the regime and the administration um, so that people can not only have a fair and transparent uh, and clean election, but also because they, they need to have confidence in the results. Um, we saw this in Florida 2000 um, when Al Gore cherry-picked four Democratic counties for a recount um, because he wanted to count the other votes in those Democratic counties thinking it could boost his pile. 
But the Supreme Court in Bush v. Gore said, hold on a second, you're bumping up against the certification deadline under federal law for the electors. You can't just cherry pick these four counties because under the Equal Protection of equal protection Clause, why do those voters get to have a second look, but all of the other the voters in the other counties don't get the same? If you're going to do four, you've got to do all. And they just said, we don't see how you're going to be able to complete this. So the personal principle is going to start to come into play here um, because the federal courts and some of the state courts are going to say, hey, look. But isn't, that a stra- but isn't, but, it, but isn't personal a, a strategy of what the, the, a holder in the 800-man war room of the lawfare part that Brahim was able to show and then the New York Times did the interview on these guys that, that they've got this big lawfare operation with uh, Perkins Coy? And, and But because they've got state judges that are Democrat judges, you've got a five to two court state court in Pennsylvania, you've got Democrats in Wisconsin and Michigan. Doesn't that, isn't it better to get it into federal court? My point is, didn't they game the system and do it in a way that the personal principle would come up to basically lock uh, Trump's appointed judges from getting involved and go back to the state courts? Because the state courts are changing the law pretty radically, aren't they? Yes, but what we're seeing is is that the Supreme Court's starting to get involved. Um, you look at the South Carolina case on the witness signature, um, went up to the Supreme Court, and Justice Roberts sided with um, Justice Kavanaugh in basically reimposing the witness requirement on absentee ballots in South Carolina. Right? They're, they're, as these begin to hit the federal court, the United States Supreme Court is going to be looking for stability in the system. And that's where things need to start getting pulled out of these state courts uh, because there is a significant equal equal protection and other arguments that could be made um, to basically try and get the federal courts and especially specific, specifically the United States Supreme Court uh, to come in and try and, ta- and, and impose some stability on the system. Yes, are the Democrats going to be very good at using the principal principle to try and lock in the changes that they achieved earlier? Yes, they are absolutely going to try it. But at the end of the day, Republicans are going to need to start arguing, look, it's not for the courts to decide what the election laws are are of the state. This is a political process that should be conducted by the state legislature. You can't achieve in the courts with an unelected or an elected judge what you couldn't achieve in the state legislatures where you had to have either some bipartisanship or to be able to get the majority to make the changes to the election laws. It also, if it goes through the legislatures, you give people clear notice about what the process is going to be how their votes should be cast and collected and counted. And so we're going to start seeing stability of the process and who actually has the authority to try and change some of these election laws or to reimpose stability in the system, whether it's going to be the courts or the legislatures, and it's too late for the legislatures, which means we're going to have to start uh, making these motions to get it to federal court so that we can restore some order to the system. I want to go. We're going to get Raheem in there, but I'd love you to stay over for the next segment. Uh, you got two minutes here. I want to go to Montana. One of the things you talk about election administration and or the possibility of, uh, of voter fraud, one of the biggest issues we've had, we saw this down in North Carolina, is ballot harvesting. Last night I gave on my national tour, I was in, did Texas, the young Republicans there, and they're talking about Abbott's, you know, one, one, box, one uh, collection box per county. And, of course, the left is melt, melting down there. What was this decision in, what was this decision in Montana regarding ballot harvesting? Is that a problem that could expand to the other states? Yeah, basically, Democrats will mislabel it as ballot collection. In other words, that third parties uh, under law can go out and collect the ballots of other individuals to deliver them to the polls. I think a lot of Republicans will say that mail-in ballots and absentee ballots 
um, we're not going to be as upset about that. But what Republicans are pretty unified about is the fact that ballot harvesting does present um, issues uh, and the potential for fraud. And we actually saw that in a North Carolina congressional election where a Republican narrowly won and a Republican operative was engaging in ballot harvesting. Um, and affidavits started coming out from some of the voters where he collected these, these, um, these, these ballots um, talking about how either you know they were manipulated or that they were intimidated into voting a certain way. And the problem with that is, is that it is a critical issue um, that in any election, it should be the voters' intent, in, intent that is reflected on the ballot, not the wishes of a third party who's just using that voter as a vehicle to try and pad the election for somebody else. Ballot, ballot harvesting is a problem and something that we should be watching very closely. Okay, Bill, we'd love to have you stay over for the next segment. Bill McGinley, Holtzman Vogel, one of the top election guys, the guy that kind of exposed this uh, early on a couple of months ago. We're going to return. I know Raheem and Jack want to get into this conversation. We've got many more questions to ask you because the lawfare part of this is going to be critical starting the evening. Right now, you got to follow it. Every day we try to put up the key articles. National Poll's been doing an amazing job on this. Short commercial break. Hashtag war and pandemic. want to hear what you have to think. Live stream. Tell us where we should be focused, the questions you want to ask, all of it. We'll be back with Bill McGinley in the lawfare part of this next on War and Pandemic. With Stephen K. Bannon. The epidemic is a demon, and we cannot let this demon hide. War Room Pandemic. Here's your host, Stephen K. Bannon. Bill McGinley, since um, you and Raheem and others broke this a couple of months ago and gave people the signal, not the noise, how important, are you feeling better today? about the importance of this? In other words, is this lawfare part becoming less important, or as you see the polling, are you getting more concerned? Where do you think we stand strategically about how big these lawsuits are going to be and important in determining who raises their hand at high noon on the 20th of January 2021? I think lawfare, lawfare continues to be a critical component of this election. I don't care what the public polls say. Um, this is going to be close. And if it's close, that means that the lawyers are going to play a critical role. Look, the Biden-Harris ticket has created a very good uh, legal team. They've got former Attorney General Eric Holder. They've got two former Solicitor Generals. Um, they've got Perkins Coy. They've got um, a lot of the major law firms uh, across the battleground states already locked up, um, assisting them with not only with the lawsuits, but providing bodies for the, uh, for the count and potential recounts. On the Republican side, we have some... We have some really good lawyers. Um, we've got former uh, Supreme Court law clerks um, that are doing it. But in terms of the communications, whether it started with the Transition Integrity Project going to the Red Mirage um, and other things, the Democrats have designed and executed a very good pre-election recount comm strategy that I think the president's team um, needs to really step up and start countering. Because at the end of the day, our people need to have confidence that when they vote, their vote's going to be counted. And every American who votes should have their vote counted. But it should be counted in accordance with the laws of the state um, that, were in a, that were established by the legislature um, as interpreted by the courts, not changed by the courts. And so I think the critical component that we're going to see here are going to be the lawyers 
in how they deliver their messages. It needs to be objective. It needs to be data-driven. It needs to give a, some details so that people understand they not only know how the process is unfolding, but they understand the nuance of it so that they know where the opportunities are um, to make sure that Republicans and the president um, have an opportunity to secure the win if he receives more votes. Look, our audience is the most engaged audience out there. Uh, these people are activists. They want to get involved. What would your recommendation be right now? We're 26 days ago. They, they go to the National Pulse every day. They hear Raheem's analysis. They, they, we've, we get the top people on here. We push all of their articles, your articles. What would you recommend for an engaged audience today? What should be their action? What are the actionable um, items you put out there for them? Yeah, we go back to core principles. Number one, vote. You need to make sure that you vote. You don't, you're not in the, you don't have standing to complain about anything unless you've actually made your voice heard um, in the process. Take the time, own your vote. Take the time to read the instructions. Make sure that you vote early so that you have the greatest opportunity to get your ballot in if you're doing it by absentee or mail. And if you decide that you're going to vote in person on election day, make sure you budget enough times in case there's long lines at the polling place. Have the stamina, have the discipline, and have the focus to actually make sure that you go through the process to make your voice heard. Number two, you need to make sure that your friends and family are also voting in the process. We talked about being a force multiplier before, where you need to not only get your vote, but you need to call your friends and family and make sure that they are taking the time to do their civic duty and engage in this election process as well. Vote, vote, vote. You vote once, but then you call your friends and family and make sure that they're getting out and voting. And if they do the same, um, you start multiplying by five, ten times, you get a pretty good phone tree, GOTV phone tree um, going uh, to actually that could have an impact on this election. Remember, Bush v. Gore down in Florida it was millions of votes cast. It was only a couple hundred that separated the candidates. If every listener to this show votes, and calls their friends and family and asks them to do the same and stays on top of them to make sure that they actually follow through and cast their ballot, that could have a significant impact in some of these battleground states. I can't overstate this enough. You need to make sure you vote. You need to make sure your friends and family are voting, and we need to participate in this process. Number two, I think people have already done this uh, in great numbers, but they need to continue to do it. Um, they need to sign up so that they can be poll watchers to observe the process. Um, you need to make sure that you follow the rules when you're a poll watcher. And a lot of these election administrators are still short on bodies um, to help them administer the election. And so you should be looking for your local um, county registrar or your secretary's of state office to see how you can volunteer um, to be uh, an election administrator on a volunteer basis and make sure that you make the time commitment to see it through. Listen to the training, follow the rules, uh, but it's important for the transparency of the process but it's also important to make sure that the machinery of democracy uh, functions on November 3rd and afterwards. Look, it's in these counting rooms. There's Bill McGinley, the first goddess, that said in the counting rooms around the green table we've got here, a cloth table, it's these counting rooms that this is going to be determined in. The certification of those ballots, is, and that's why you need people that are smart, focused, and tough. The other thing I want to say that McGinley uh, brought up about Florida, remember the Democratic Party – Today is not that party. They've already said in the Jeffrey Tubin piece in the New Yorker, under no certain, there's zero chance they will concede. They won't say for the good of the country, we'll concede and get them, get uh, you know, get them in four years. They think Bush, the country can't is, is not sustainable with another four years of Trump. He's an existential threat. That's a quote from the New Yorker article. The one thing to remember about Florida, yeah. it came down with 
millions of ballots cast, or I think 110, 120 million ballots cast throughout the country. It came down to 500, I believe, 37 votes in Florida. But here's the key point. Bush was never behind. In any count they ever did, he was right. never behind. This is why it's so important. Remember, in Michigan last time, it was like 10,000. I think it was 20,000 uh, in Wisconsin. This is going to come down. This is house and to Steve, house. Let, yeah, let ahead, me sir. make a point. Yep. Let me let me make a point here. If you want to signal uh, that the Democrats are still concerned about this, just look at the recent statements from Nancy Pelosi. Last Friday after we went on, I came on and we had a conversation about what a contingent election looks like, and the president actually raised it in a Pennsylvania rally that Saturday. Nancy Pelosi signed a, uh, a super PAC solicitation saying we need to start flipping state delegations. She just went on The View the other day and raised the same issue. Now, if you're confident in the outcome of this election, you think that Joe Biden is actually up as much as these public polling say, which I think are overweighting the Democratic turnout. If you have that degree of confidence, you're not publicly going out there and talking about the need to flip state delegations in case this goes to a contingent election. The Democrats are mobilizing and organizing, thinking about every possible way in the process um, that they can go ahead and try and stop Donald Trump from achieving a second term even if he achieves 270 electoral votes. Bill McGinley, you're a warrior. We're going to put your Twitter handle and everything like that up in, in, in the next break. Thank you very much, sir. You're, you're amazing. Bill McGinley, Holtzman Volga, be back with Liz York in the Vatican in a moment.